during the service. Okay, Romans 2, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 2. We will read responsibly, the, responsibly rather, the first six verses. And so I'll begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read together verse 2, and then alternate together and uh, myself every other verse. Verse 1 says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same thing. Together, verse 2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impotent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. This morning we're going to look at this topic in our series, Producing Through the Spirit. The topic is this, long-suffering like our Lord. Long-suffering like our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, of all the sermons I've put together this year, this one maybe was the toughest to put together. The scope of information is great. But Lord, there's a specific point that you want made this morning. And so, Lord, as you have taught me this week in my study and challenged me and convicted me, would you do the same, Lord, with every heart here today? We live in a culture where we want what we want right away, not only for our own gratification, but also with other people's behavior. Lord, as we look at your long-suffering to us today, help us to take an honest gaze in the mirror at ourselves. Help us, Lord, to consider whether or not the fruit of being long-suffering is present on the tree of our life. It's part of the qualities that we are to have as a Christian. And Lord, where we fall short, would you challenge us and help us, Lord, to reconsider our processes with people. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, I want to begin by giving you the definition for long-suffering. Because um, um, my my thought on this for years has been that long-suffering and patient are interchangeable and they're basically the same thing and while patience is a part of long-suffering it's only a small sliver of the pie long-suffering to be patient in bearing the offenses and injuries of others to be mild and slow in avenging slow to anger slow to punish i'm going to leave that up there for a bit so you have ample time to jot that down There's a lot there. That's a full meal, a spiritual meal. That's plenty to chew on. Let me read it again. To be patient in bearing the offenses and injuries of others. To be mild and slow in avenging, slow to anger, slow to punish. We look at Romans chapter 2, and Romans chapter 2 comes right on the heels of the passage where God labels the downward slope into a reprobate mind. 
a reprobate mind. And the author of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, lays out for us how somebody can go from being God-honoring to God-hating, God-denying, and totally rebellious and vile and vulgar in their life. After he lays the case out for people who were living that way, he opens chapter 2 by saying, You're inexcusable, O man, if you're judging those that are living in that lifestyle. You're judging, you're, you're, you, are, you are guilty, you are wrong, you may not be committing the exact same sin as the one you're throwing stones at, but categorically you are guilty of similar sins and you are just as vile in the sight of God. He says here in this chapter, he says judgment is to be left up to God and the systems that God has put in place. And then he says, aren't you glad that God is long suffering and forbearing and second chance giving to you. Now, why don't you turn around and do the same to others? Why don't you turn around and treat others the same way? I am so glad that God is a God of second chances. But can I be honest this morning? It isn't just a second chance for this guy. It's like 10 million chances. How many of you with me? And he just continues to say, I'm going to give you a little more room. I'm going to give you a little more room to figure this out. And he looks down on me with passion and pity. He looks down on me with compassion. And he says, you blew it again. But I know if I give you a little bit more space and time, and I correct you in love, and, and, and I'm careful in how I handle you, that in time, you're going to mature past a lot of this. And one day, because I have saved you, when you get to heaven, you will be made completely whole from this struggle. You will be completely in my likeness. As humans, we are quick to pass judgment on others who do not meet our standards. We write off people who don't meet our expectations. We're quick to condemn others. We're quick to judge others. We're quick to get angry with others who do not behave in a way that we prefer or that we like. A long-suffering Christian is someone who takes the wrongdoing of others and absorbs it, who returns love for hate, who returns kindness for a rude attitude, uh, care for indifference, and with, uh, with the hope that the offender will find their way to God's calling on their life. If I can treat people with kindness and care and love and compassion in the face of their nastiness and rudeness and their uh, vulgar, vile behavior, if I can show people the love of God and the patience of God and the care of God, maybe God will use those actions in their life to bring them around to a place of better behavior in their life. No, but instead, when people mistreat us, we want to pick up a rock and throw it right back at them. When people uh, uh, do something that angers us, we want to pick up a rock and we want to throw it right back at them. You know, it's funny how that when I put a sermon together, God likes to test me right before I preach it. Angela and I went to New Jersey yesterday for a conference, a conference we go to every year, and they had me, uh, well, I'm one of like 50 speakers that speaks at it, so, you know, whatever. Uh, I, 
think the reason why they invite me is so that I'll bring a bunch of you from the church. But nonetheless, uh, I went uh, to the conference. And on the way home from New Jersey, we're coming up the Merritt Parkway. Anybody know the speed limit on the Merritt Parkway? It's 90. Eric said it was 90. No, Eric, not how fast you drive. What the speed limit is, all right? Listen, I've had police officers with their lights off past me going 80, 85. The Varas frequent that road regularly because they come from Stanford. And so um, uh, I'm coming up the Merritt Parkway, and I'm using the excuse that all of you use. I'm going with the flow of traffic, meaning I was speeding, okay? And uh, I'm coming up, and this guy has this music playing. He's got a Jeep and a Jeep Wrangler, and he has it all tripped out, and he's got a subwoofer in the back. I didn't see the subwoofer, but I, but I heard it. And uh, he has special light kit on the front, and his lights are bright. Don't you hate it when someone installs those special lights that hit your mirrors and just blind you? And, um, and, and, and he, he, uh, he gets behind me, and, you know, it, it, it's tight on the Merritt Parkway. You all know this, right? It's two lanes, and it's not meant for today's cars. It was built way, way, way back as a scenic road, and it turned into what it is today. And this guy is six inches off my bumper, maybe three inches off my bumper. I can't see his headlights in my mirror. That's how close he is. And I'm going 70, 75, somewhere in there. Don't look, don't judge me. Okay. We just covered that. Knock it off. And I'm, uh, I'm driving and this guy's inches off my bumper and that's not enough. He's starting to shake his car back and forth as if to say move. So I move over and then he moves over behind me. Are you going to pass me or not? No, he wants to just give me a hard time. And God is saying to me, be long suffering. Don't return tit for tat. You be kind and caring. And so Angela begins to look in the mirror. Angela begins to get, un- she, well, she asks, she's oblivious, and she says, she says, where's that music coming from? I said, it's coming from the car behind us. And she looks in the mirror, and she says, he's going to run to the back of you. And I said, he's been back there for 20 minutes. It's okay. And so I'm, I'm playing it cool. But can I tell you, that's not normal for me. Normally, I'm all getting worked up and upset. And, and who is this nutcase? And you know how it works in traffic. Anybody that drives slower than you is an idiot. Anybody that drives faster than you is a moron, right? Because you set what the right speed is, and everyone else has it wrong. You're right, and everyone else is wrong. And, and so, you know, normally I, I, can, I can get a little worked up with this, but God is saying to me, just be long-suffering. Be long-suffering. And, you know, whether you get upset with him or not, he's probably never going to know it unless you roll down your window and shake your fist at him or something. But, uh, but just, just be long-suffering. And, my friend, the challenge this morning in the sermon is that when people treat you in a way that is not savory, in a way that's desirable, when people lash out to you, when people are wrong with you, maybe you're mistreated uh, as an employee, Maybe you're an employer and you're mistreated. Maybe your spouse is wrong in the way that you're handled or you have a child that's wayward and not acting in a way that you raised them. Uh, Whatever it would be, maybe you even feel as though God is not handling you in a way that's honest or fair. And by the way, if that's how you feel, I wouldn't trust your feelings, uh, uh, trust what the Bible says. But whatever it is, Christian, you're called to suffer long. 
to suffer long. You see, I love the word long-suffering. It is a compound word. It is also a complex word in that it is, uh, or rather it is a descriptive word. And long-suffering, really, you could break it down to this. You are called to suffer long. Now, let's jump in this morning and look at four thoughts about this idea of bearing the fruit of long-suffering on our tree, allowing the Spirit of God, rather, to bear that fruit on our tree. Point number one in the message is this, the characteristics of long-suffering. The characteristics of long-suffering. So I uh, pulled up the word long-suffering in the Hebrew, and I pulled it up in the Greek, and there are a couple of cousin words in the Greek, depending on its tense, uh, how it is used, and so two different words in the Greek, one solid word in the Hebrew, and that word in the Hebrew shows up sometimes translated as long-suffering, and other times it shows up as the phrase, a, we'll give you letter A here, slow to anger. Letter A, slow to anger. Turn over to Psalm 103 and verse 8. Hold your place in Romans 2. We will eventually make our way back there, but Psalm 103 and verse 8, most of what we're going to look at this morning will be in Psalm and Proverbs. And so please participate, if you would, and turn over to Psalm 103, verse 8. I had someone say to me, Pastor, why don't we put the verses up on the screen? And the answer is because we want you to bring your Bible to church. And we want you to learn how to use your Bible. So uh, we're never going to put the verses on the screen unless it's just a special service where... Uh, we have a bunch of visitors who maybe wouldn't have a Bible. But on the traditional Sunday, this is how it will be. Look at Psalm 103 and verse number 8. We see the same word that's transfer, uh, translated as long-suffering uh, uh, in some places in the Old Testament, translated as the phrase, slow to anger. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious. There's that word, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Slow to anger. Turn over to Psalm 145 and verse 8. Psalm 145 and verse 8. Just a handful of pages to the right there. The Lord, it says, is gracious and full of compassion. That same word again, slow to anger. Slow to anger and great mercy. By the way, I could spend about 20 minutes going through the Old Testament, showing you all the times the Bible says that God is either slow to wrath or slow to anger. This is two of about ten verses in the Bible that state that the Lord is slow to anger. What is the characteristic of long-suffering? Uh, that when someone mistreats you, that you don't just fire back in anger, but that you are careful in your response, that you're planned in your response, and that you are slow to anger. Some of you here, and again, to be descriptive, this is the idea of having a long fuse. A long fuse. Now, I want you to picture that uh, you have, um, uh, you have a, uh, a stick of dynamite with a long fuse, or maybe gunpowder that comes out a long ways, and someone lights that gunpowder. You know what you can do? You can walk over and stomp that out before it gets to the dynamite. That's what this is the idea of. It doesn't mean that I'm slow to anger, but eventually I get angry. No, this, has, this carries with the idea that I, I am so methodical and careful in my response that I can squash out the explosion before it ever happens. Slow to anger. Some of you here this morning have a very short fuse. 
You come home from work and your wife says one thing at you or your husband says one thing at you that's cross and you're just a bomb waiting to go off. You say, I'm not angry. Okay. You sure? You know, I learned a long time ago that when I throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the dog I hit is going to yelp the loudest. And if you buck and push away and pull away from something that's preached, especially if it's biblical and want to whine and complain about it, maybe that's not me picking on you. Maybe that's the Spirit of God poking you from the inside. We have a problem in our culture of people who are quick to be angry. The Bible says to be long-suffering, you are slow to anger. You understand that people are going to mistreat you. You understand that offenses are going to come. You don't let your emotions get the best of you. Slow to anger. Let her be. Let her be. The characteristics of long-suffering, patient in spirit. Patient in spirit. Turn over with me to Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 12. Now, in my youth, um, uh, my understanding of the word patient was very simple. It was basically you're willing to sit around and twiddle your thumbs until you get your way. But that's not what the idea of patient is. It's patience, but yet there's a plan in place. Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, and we see the same word that's translated as long-suffering in Galatians 5.22. The Greek word that's translated as long-suffering in the fruits of the Spirit here is translated into the phrase, or rather into the word patient or patience. Verse 12 of Hebrews 6 says that ye be not slothful. So you're not sitting around being lazy. But followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith and patience inherit the promises. You're, you're being long-suffering. You're willing to tolerate and put up with injustices. You're, you're willing to put up with not getting your way or not getting what you want because you know that there's a greater promise coming uh, from the Lord, and you are believing that by faith. Turn over to James, one book to the right, James chapter number 5 and verse 10. We find again the same root word for long-suffering, translated as the word patient or patience here in James chapter 5 and verse number 10. It says, Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of long-suffering, and of Patience, patient in spirit, patient in spirit. You understand that the world is filled with sinners. You understand that you are a sinner. You understand that occasionally from time to time you're going to offend. You don't want to, but you're going to offend. You're going to hurt feelings. You understand that sometimes you're going to do things and your motives are going to be misunderstood, but someone else's perception is their reality and you give them grace and room and space to respond in a way that is unsavory and you don't lash out at them or act angry with them. You are patient in your spirit. There is a long fuse with people. There is a, a attitude of giving people room. Now, let me uh, just circle back around here and clarify something before we move on. And this idea of judging others. Okay. Uh, when Romans two talks about not judging others, let me be clear. There are times where you are to judge. You say, well, pastor, what about Matthew seven, one judge, not that ye be not judged. Can I tell you that as a father, it is my duty to judge my children. Why? Because they fall under the umbrella of my responsibility. 
Can I tell you that your employer has a right to judge your work? Because you fall under the umbrella of his responsibility. Can I tell you that the police officer has a right to judge the way you drive? You understand? In fact, Romans chapter 13 tells us that God created the government to be an extension of justice, of judgment on earth as part of his behalf. The institutions that God creates and the people that he puts over those institutions, those that fall under the auspice or the, 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 the umbrella of that institution, they are to judge. As the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church, it is my job to judge your, if you're a member here, your spiritual, uh, your spirituality and not to come down mean and nasty, but rather to come down in a way that's loving and caring to help get you back on the right track. That's why God has called me to be the shepherd of your soul. Uh, uh, rather, he's the shepherd. I'm just the under shepherd that acts in his place and I follow his lead. And so if the pastor looks you in the eye and says, I'm concerned about you, you haven't been in church in a while, or I'm concerned about you, there's this behavior that doesn't please the Lord, please understand that it's being done in a spirit of care and compassion and even long-suffering. But this idea of us never judging others, let me tell you who you're not supposed to judge. You're not supposed to judge people who are not under your umbrella. Somebody would come to me and say, well, such and such is doing whatever. And I say, well, they're not my child and they're not my spouse and they don't attend my church. So you know what? I'll pray for them, but it's not my place to have an opinion on that. Somebody this week called me about a missionary who's going through some just just really lewd and bad behavior on the mission field. And they asked me, they said, do you support this person? And I said, I, we do not. And they said, well, here's the scoop. And I stopped them mid-sentence. And I said, I've heard enough. We don't support them. I don't need to know the juicy gossip that's going on in their life. I don't need to hear any more. It's not my place to judge them. That's God's place to judge him. And that's their supporting church's place to judge them. And that's his wife's duty to judge him. But that's not my place. Now, how about those that you are to judge? You are to be long-suffering in those judgments. You're to be long-suffering in your caring of them. Number one, the characteristics of long-suffering. Notice number two, the corruption of long-suffering. The corruption of long-suffering. Can I ask you this morning, Christian, are you a long-suffering Christian? Or are you quick to become um, angry, to pass judgment, to... To act in a way that does not please the Lord and is fleshly. Now, let me give you an A, B, and a C here and help you identify whether or not you are a long-suffering Christian. Letter A, we become reactionary. We become reactionary. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 29. Please turn there with me and you can mark this verse because we're going to come back to it later in the sermon and look at another aspect of it. Proverbs 14 and verse 29. I love the book of Proverbs because oftentimes within a Proverbs, you get, you get the polar opposites of a truth. You get the good and the bad. You get the extreme good and the extreme bad all within the same verse. And that's definitely the case here. Look at verse 29. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. We'll get that portion of it later. Let's focus in on the second half. But he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. He that is hasty of spirit exalteth 
folly. The Bible says in the book of James that we are to be, uh, uh, let's see, uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. My daughter is a motor mouth. She loves to talk. And she talks and talks and talks and talks and talks and talks. And sometimes we just have to say, April, what are you talking about? And she'll shrug her soon and say, I don't know. But that mouth is a running. And I'll say to my daughter, I'll say, how many ears do you have? And she'll say, I have two ears. How many mouths do you have? I have one mouth. You know why you have twice as many ears as you do mouths? Because God wants you to listen twice as much as you speak. Do you take a moment to listen to what people are saying and think about how you're going to respond? Or are you reactionary? You reactionary. Well, I'm going to tell you what, that, that, that clerk at, at, uh, at Walmart, I didn't like the way that he looked at me, and so I gave him a piece of my mind. You reactionary? I didn't like the way that my husband came in the door from work today, and I don't want to hear about how stressful his job is. Do you know the stress that's in my life? Well, I told him how I felt about it. Well, I can't help it. I just speak my mind. Really? Well, and listen, here is the ridiculousness we get to. You don't know my heritage. That's just how it is where we come from. Well, I'm sorry. If you got saved, you're a citizen of heaven. I don't want to hear that you're Irish or Italian or whatever. Okay? I'm French, but that doesn't make me passive. Amen? Sorry, Brother Pierre. He didn't even hear me, so we're good. Um, Can I tell a French joke? How many of you won't get offended? Promise not to get offended if I tell a French joke. The rest of you are going to get offended, aren't you? How many, how many soldiers does it take to defend France? Do you know? You don't know, do you? Neither do they. They've never done it. Okay, that wasn't nice. But my last name is French, so I can get away with it. All right. Um, reactionary. Write this down in your notes. Respond, don't react. Respond, don't react. This, is, this would stop a whole lot of marital fights right here. You know, um, when my wife, and she doesn't do this often, but when she comes to me and she's not happy with my behavior, can I tell you what I naturally want to do? I want to naturally defend myself. Instead, I have to say to myself, why is she upset with my behavior and what can I do to remedy the situation? You know what that is? That's responding. That's not reacting. Some of you in here, your children are being rebellious in their teen years. And you say, well, I'm the parent and they're not going to behave that way in my house. Why don't you take a moment and try to figure out why they're acting rebelliously and see if you can't remedy the rebellion. By the way, most rebellion coming out of teenagers is because you, mom and dad, are out of balance in either your rules or your relationship or both. So if you fix your issue, their rebellion would probably start to subside and you could deal with it a little bit easier. Now, that's not, that's blanket advice, and there are times where mom and dad are right on board, and the sin, child just falls into sin, and, and mom and dad have to deal with that. But how about you take a good, long look in the mirror, and you think about how you can respond. But we don't have that long-suffering spirit, because we are 
reactionary. Letter B, letter B, the corruption of long-suffering, we seek revenge. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 18. Should be maybe even on the same page, uh, chapter uh, 15 and verse 18. By the way, back on, we become reactionary. Proverbs 15.1 is a great verse. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. You can either respond and have a soft answer, or you can react and have a grievous answer. If you have a grievous answer, you're going to stir up anger. If you have a soft answer or a long-suffering answer, you're going to turn away the wrath from that situation. We seek revenge. Look at verse 18 of chapter 15. It says, A wrathful man stirreth up strife. But he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. We seek revenge. Turn over to Romans. Hold your place in Proverbs. Turn over to Romans chapter 12 and verse number 19. Romans 12 and verse number 19. I love Paul's diplomatic approach here. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves but rather give place unto wrath. That means put space between you and wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith who? Saith the Lord. I don't get mad, I get even. Now listen, that's all fun, that's that's great if it's just a fun game, a, a practical joke or a prank. Well, when someone mistreats you and you get cold-hearted and you begin to plan your revenge, hey, that doesn't belong to you. That wrath, that anger, that vengeance, that revenge that we seek, that's a corruption of long-suffering. And if you're yielded to the Spirit of God, you're not seeking revenge. You're on your face praying for that person that God will get hold of their heart and help them do right. We seek revenge. We're not long-suffering with people oftentimes. Why? Because we, we're looking to get even. We're looking to right the wrong that's been done to us instead of realizing that that responsibility belongs to the Lord. By the way, this idea of revenge uh, uh, fits hand-in-hand hand with um, uh, long-suffering. Why is it that God's timing in punishing people is not the same as our timing? Can I tell you why? Because I want God, when people do me wrong, to punish them right now. And God steps back and says, whoa. I'm not reactionary. I respond. And my punishment is thorough, but it's well thought out. It's methodical. It's planned. There's long suffering in my punishment. I give people room and space to get things corrected on their own and get things fixed with you. And in time, if that doesn't happen, then I drop the hammer. And we say, God, but don't you know what they said to me? Don't you know what they did to me? Don't you know how they treated me? And God says, when you do wrong, Aren't you glad I'm long-suffering with you? Shouldn't I afford that to other people who do you wrong? Oh, we want long-suffering for us. But we don't want long-suffering when others mistreat us. Well, instead, we want to seek revenge. Letter C, notice, we have no rule. We have no rule. Back in Proverbs chapter 16, look at verse 32. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit is... Then he that taketh a city. Turn over to Proverbs 25, verse 28. By the way, that slow to anger is the word long-suffering again. 25, 28. By the way, I have been guilty of all of these this morning. And so I have to believe 
that this is hitting home with somebody because this has hit home with me plenty of times. Look at chapter 25, verse 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Now, walls in the Old Testament was the defense system of the city. You put a wall around a city to keep the enemy out, and that wall had gates, and the biggest, strongest uh, warriors of your town walked, watched guard over those gates, and they were armed with the weaponry of that day, and, and food came in and out, and, and visitors came in and out, and much like a, uh, an immigration-type setup, they had folks there to filter and, and monitor and question the people that would come in and out, and uh, th- that wall was their protection. It was the safety. If an enemy wanted to lay siege on a town, they would have to take over the wall before they could take the city. And so uh, the wall was the protection. The Bible says here, if you don't have rule over your own spirit, you're like a city that has broken down walls. The enemy just comes in and takes over whenever they want. Uh, I've talked about the, the anger issue that I've had uh, before uh, here and how God has taken me on a journey to, to help me with that and has brought me to a place where I get less, uh, uh, I'm less angry or my angry spirit uh, 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 takes control uh, less and less often as God has taken me uh, on this journey. But I can go back in my mind to some times where my, sh- my fuse was short The dynamite exploded regularly, and I had no control over my spirit. And I was that city with no walls. Somebody said something to me, and I'd blow up. Boy, I didn't like the way things were going at home, and I'd lose my mind. And I'm talking going all the way back to my teen years. I didn't like the way my dad talked to me or looked at me or treated me or a rule that he had. And, and I would go out in the middle of a field and yell and scream and holler. I couldn't do it to my dad's face because he, you know... He'd squash me like a bug, but I'd, I'd go out in the field and I'd, you know, living in Alabama in the middle of a, a big field, I'd go a long ways from the house and boy, I'd let my father have it. And my anger was just running rampant all over me. And I was like the city of Jerusalem after Babylon had taken over and it was besieged and the walls were burned down and only the poor were left behind. And you know what? Thieves came into that city and took what they want whenever they wanted and just, and just ransacked it and had it. And you know what I have felt like in times of my life, there was no long suffering and Satan could just come running right in and take whatever he wanted from me whenever he wanted because I had no rule. Now this is the end game when you're reactionary. This is the law end game when you're one that regularly seeks revenge. You know what happens is you become a person who people have no respect for. They just see you as the hothead. When I uh, worked for uh, um, Max Finkelstein Incorporated delivering tires, there was a place, there was a shop, I won't say the name of it, but there was a shop here in the, uh, uh, well, I'll just say it was in the New Haven area, and the owner is known as being a hothead. And um, I'd go there, and that was one of my biggest deliveries every day, every day, and I'd go there and I'd deliver the tires, and boy, there was more than once where I heard him through three walls yelling and screaming and cussing at his employees. One time we got his order wrong and he came out and he was right on the edge of letting me have it. And then uh, we came back the next day and I'm not even the one that loaded my trailer, but came back the next day and the order was wrong again. And he had me against the wall with his finger in my chest and his face was red and he was screaming and cussing at me. And finally I pushed his finger off me and I said, hey, look, buddy, I don't work for you and you can talk to your employees that way, I guess, if you want. But you're not going to talk to me that way. I'm going to call the police if you keep this up. 
And he cussed me out and turned around and walked away. You know what? Nobody behind that guy's back respected him. Because he was someone who had no long-suffering with people. The corruption of long-suffering. Number three, let's look at the charm of long-suffering. So why should you be a person who takes the wrongdoings of others into yourself and you're slow to respond, you're slow to react, you're slow to repay someone's wrongdoing, you're quick to stomp out the gunpowder trail on the way to the dynamite, and that trail is long. Letter A, notice our approach. Look with me at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Again, hold your place in Psalm and Proverbs. We'll be back there in a moment. 1 Timothy chapter number 1 in verse number 16. Turn over there with me, if you will. Our approach, how we approach things matters. First Timothy 1 and verse 16 says this, How be it for this cause, I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Here's the truth. You come up against someone who isn't a Christian, You come up against someone who is an angry spirit. You come up against someone who's acting vulgar and vile. And you treat them with long-suffering. And your mindset and approach is to give them space and time for God to work. Again, you're not spineless and you're not letting people run you over. But you're not repaying uh, anger with anger. You're not seeking vengeance. You're you're, you're rather treating them with a long-suffering spirit. Why? Because Jesus treats us that way in hope that if he gives us enough space and time that we will be saved. There will be that belief to life everlasting. Turn over one more book with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and look at verse number 2. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. I'll begin reading, preach the word. This is again written to a pastor. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And so this verse has been used and preached on many times. But as a pastor, my job and duty is to just just be consistent in having a Bible message ready week in and week out. And I try to make sure every time I come into this pulpit that I'm prepared to preach and I'm not giving you some half thought out uh, message, but it's been well thought out and and it's supposed to accomplish all of these various things. But something God has had to teach me as a minister is that I am to give you all the truth with a long suffering spirit. I can tell you early on in my years as a Spanish pastor back in 2009, I was hired to be a Spanish pastor and did that for four years. And I have to tell you early on, I really struggled with this idea of long suffering. You know, as a pastor, I thought, I'm going to get up and I'm going to preach this really powerful sermon and everyone's just going to change. I mean, they're going to get the truth in such a powerful way that they're going to leave and they're going to start changing everything they do in that area. And I'd get up and preach and man, I'd preach my heart out. And then I'd look and people are still doing the same thing they were before I preached the sermon. And I'd say, what's wrong with you people? How come you're not changing? And I wouldn't get up and say that, but that's how I felt. And you know what Paul is telling Timothy here? He says, you just preach the word consistently. You make sure your doctrine is accurate. You make sure you're instant. You're prepared in season and out of season. And God will in time change them if you are patient. If you are long-suffering. Now... If that applies to me as your pastor, don't you think that applies to the people in your life? 
You say, well, I just don't like the way my wife treats me. Can you treat her with love and care and give her space to come around? You say, well, I don't like the way my husband talks to me. Can you reverence him and submit to him and respect him and do all the things God commands you to do and give him space and time to make the corner? You say, well, he may never make the corner. Well, he may not, but one day you're not going to be judged for how he responds. You're going to be judged for the way you responded and how you behave. You say, well, I don't like the way such and such does this or that. You act with all long suffering and you treat them in a way that's careful and you be instant, in season and out out of season and you make sure you're right and you give them that space. That's the approach. Letter B, notice our appearance. Our appearance. I threw this one in here because I thought it was really neat and I'm not going to spend much time on it, but look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 12. Colossians 3 and verse number 12. It says there, I'll give you a second to get there because I want you to read the first uh, two words with me. You there? I'll wait for the pages to quit turning. Colossians 3 and verse number 12. You all, you all okay this morning? Amen? All right, verse 12. Read the first two words on me, with me. Ready? Here we go. Put on, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. How many of you here are, you've been saved, you are holy and beloved, and in the eyes of God, you're the elect of God. If you've been saved this morning, raise your hand. All right, so this is what we're to wear, all right? You got up this morning, and everybody in the room is wearing clothes, and I want to say thank you for that, all right? You're not only to get up and put on physical clothes, there's some spiritual things you're to get up and put on every morning. Look here, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind. Oh, boy, that's one we're missing, isn't it, sometimes? Meekness, we'll look at that one in a few weeks. Long-suffering. Boy, when we get up and we put on this spiritual clothing, our appearance is that of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bearing the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Um, One more verse on this uh, uh, point here. Turn back over to Psalm and look at chapter 86 and verse 15. And uh, for sake of time, I left a whole bunch of other verses out of this. And I wish you could just... Be a fly on the wall while I'm studying for these sermons and, and sort of see how excited I get as I'm going through things. Sometimes I want to just stand up and, and wave my hands and shout and start crying. And uh, the Lord's teaching me things in my study and I can't just bring it all to the pulpit. But uh, a verse like Psalm 86:15, these are found all throughout uh, the Old and New, or rather the Old Testament. Look at verse 15. But thou, O Lord, art a God. Look at what God's wearing here, his appearance. Full of compassion gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. Long-suffering, plenteous in mercy and truth. Our appearance. Letter C, notice our ability. Our ability. Christian, how are you perceived? When people look at you, do they see someone that's clothed in long-suffering or someone who is quick to blow up and explode and have a temper? Um, Our ability. Look back at Proverbs 14 and verse 29. And again, I can only give you just a couple of of, of thoughts here. I would encourage you to do your own Bible study on the word long-suffering and see what other abilities you gain by by, by having a long-suffering spirit, that fruit being born on your tree. Look at verse 29. He that is slow to wrath, again, long-suffering, he that is long-suffering is of great understanding. What is, what is our ability? You become a man endued with biblical knowledge. 
biblical knowledge. You are a man endued with biblical wisdom. You have great understanding. You know who I have the greatest respect for? Uh, I have the greatest respect for people who can be thrown into a nasty situation and handle themselves with reverence and respect and great care. You know why they're able to do that? Because they don't get caught up in the emotion of the moment. Why? Because they have biblical wisdom to help guide them through that. That's what you gain when you learn this. One more thought on this. Look at Proverbs 16.32. Proverbs 16.32 says this. It says, he that is slow to anger is what? Read the next phrase there with me. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. You find the biggest, strongest warrior. You go find the biggest, toughest marine. The marines are the toughest of the military, right? How many agree with that statement? How many do not agree with that statement? That's because you serve in another branch, probably. Um, I'm going to get pummeled by the sermon after the sermon. I'm just going to tell you, be long-suffering with me if you don't agree. Amen? You go find the biggest, toughest soldier out there, and you show me what he's capable of doing. He's a marksman, maybe, with a weapon. and He's a maybe Old Testament mighty man of war that can just slay armies at a time all by himself. The Bible says if you are a long-suffering Christian, you are better than the mighty. Wow. Wow. Our ability, the charm of long-suffering, our approach, our appearance, our ability. Let me give you one more thought and we'll close it. I'll give you an illustration and we'll close it down. Number four, notice the cultivation of long-suffering. Now, this series, this series on producing through the Spirit Again, this series is about us yielding to the Spirit of God. And by default, as I yield to the Spirit of God's leading in my heart, these fruits will begin to be developed in my life one at a time. Let me say this, is that I can yield to the Spirit of God in one area and have one type of fruit uh, produced in my heart and not yield in another area, and that fruit won't be produced. And as I've gone through these one at a time, God said, yep, you've got a decent amount of fruit here, but you're really lacking here. The love fruit on your tree is really strong, Richard, but the joy at times, boy, that fruit is shriveled up and not real good. And, you know, peace, that's, eh, that's here or there, but boy, the long-suffering fruit, uh, we're working on you, but you're not real yielded to me in that area. So how is it that you go about cultivating a tree of life planted by the rivers of water that just has this long-suffering fruit that's just loaded and juiced and ripe and delicious and pleasant to your maker. Letter A, notice our expectations. Our expectations. Hold your place in, uh, in, in where you're at in Proverbs because we're going to be in Psalm in just a moment. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Our expectations. First Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 talk about spiritual gifts. We all have them if we're saved. God gives them to us when we get saved. And sandwiched between chapter 12 and chapter 14 is a chapter that talks about charity. The reason is, is because our spiritual gifts, the catalyst for those is supposed to be love. Look at verse 4. Charity does what? It suffereth long. You know what charity is? It's compassion. It's pity. It's pity. It's looking at someone and saying, You did not grow up in my shoes. You did not grow up in my environment. Your life path has been different than my life path. 
And instead of holding you to a standard that makes sense to me, I'm going to look at you with pity, and I'm going to give you a little bit more room and time to figure things out. I'm going to lower my expectation on you, and I'm going to pray for you that God will bring you to where you need to be. Look back at Psalm 145 and verse number 8. Psalm 145 and verse number 8. Look at this verse just a few minutes ago, but I want to look at it in a little bit different light. The Lord is gracious. Aren't you glad He's gracious? Aren't you glad He's the God of second chances? And full of compassion. That's that same word as we find charity in the Old Testament. Slow to anger and of great mercy. I'm so glad that God does not just strike me down every time I do wrong. He gives me space and time to figure things out sometimes. He has lowered the expectation on me to give me room and space to grow. Sir, are you setting such a high expectation for your wife, for your employees, maybe even on your employer? Are you holding your teenagers and your children to such a high level of expectation that when they don't meet it, you get angry and mean and nasty? Now, to be clear, there is, in long-suffering, there is punishment. There is refinement. But that's to be done out of a heart of compassion and care. Sometimes we just need to adjust our expectations a little bit. Letter B, lastly, notice our example. Our example. Let me give you, let me, let's look at two verses here, and I'm going to give you a biblical illustration to close, and we'll be done this morning. Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4, where we began the sermon this morning. Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4. Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness, look at that word, and forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. The goodness of God. Not the wrath of God. It's not the wrath of God that leads us to repentance. It's the goodness of God. You know why I got saved? I got saved because I was blown away that God would be so good to me to kill His only Son on a cross to save my soul. How, how much more goodness can a person have than that to send His own Son through hell to save my soul? And a, a tear wells up in my eye on a regular basis even today as I think about how good God is to me. How He's given me a godly wife and beautiful children and, and, and my health. And He's given me a church family that cares for me. And oh, there's negative I can dwell on. And oh, there's problems in my life. And yes, there are times where God's lowered the boom and punished me. But... There's far more times where the long-suffering of God has been extended to me. And God says, I'm going to give you room and space to figure this out. And I'm just going to love you a little bit more and a little bit longer. And I look up at the goodness of God and I say, because you're so good to me, I repent from what I'm doing. And I want nothing more than to please you. Boy, He is our example with this. He's long-suffering toward us. 
His goodness leads us to repentance. His patience toward us. His forbearance is putting up with us at times. Second Peter chapter 3. Turn there lastly. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9. And we find a verse here that's quoted often. And I want to couple that with one other verse in the chapter that also talks about the long suffering of our Savior. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9. I'll begin reading. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is in heaven. He's looking down at his sinner and he's saying, oh, they're living a debaucherous lifestyle. Oh, they're struggling. Oh, they're having a hard time figuring things out. And oh, yes, I could kill them and send them to hell. And that man who stands up on a picnic table in the park with a crowd around him and shakes his fist and said, if you're there, God, strike me down with lightning. God says, I have too much long suffering to do that. I'm going to give you space and time to figure that out. Why? Because God says this. He says, my long suffering will lead you to repentance. Look at verse 15. 2 Peter 3.15. An account that the long suffering of our Lord is what? It's salvation. What is long suffering? It's salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom Given unto him hath written unto you. The long suffering of the Lord is salvation. What is it in your life that needs to be salvaged? Is it a relationship? What is it? I don't know what it is. Do you know what is salvation? Long suffering. Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17 says this. Let me read it to you. Listen, listen closely. I'm going to finish the sermon with this Bible illustration. Nehemiah Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 17 says this, And refused to obey, speaking of the Israelites, Neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks, and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and forsookest them not. God chose the Israelites way back in Genesis chapter 12. He chose Abraham knowing that Abraham was a sinner, knowing that Abraham and his children were going to make offenses against him, knowing that they were going to blow it time and time again. God chose Abraham knowing that they were going to end up in bondage in Egypt and then be broken in their bondage and get to Kadesh Barnea and and, and not have faith and be rejected and turn back in the wilderness to wander for 40 years, only to have another generation rise up and take over the promised land, only to have that generation birth a generation that would turn their back on God and forget God. And then this cycle would continue of rebellion and and then slavery and then repentance and then restoration. And and over and over and over again, Judges says that they did right that which was right in their own eyes. And God had to continue to punish them. But you know what God was doing? He was killing off those who would not repent. And he was 
purging Israel. He was pruning Israel. He was preparing Israel. This cycle would continue all the way until Babylon would come in and carry them away captive for 70 years. And then after 70 years, King Darius would, would, uh, would free them to go on into, uh, uh, back to, 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 to Jerusalem and build up their temple and build their wall and have their sovereignty back only for them to turn their back again on God and for them to be uh, destroyed and to have Nero build a burn there their temple and then be scattered among the nations. You say, well, surely after 4,000 years of Israel blowing it, God is done with Israel. And no, God has set them on the shelf for a time. But guess where Jesus is going to rule and reign from for a thousand years? Guess what the new Jerusalem in heaven is going to be centered around? It's going to be centered around the Israelites. You know why? Because even after 4,000 years, the long-suffering of God has still not run out. You quick to anger? You seek revenge? My friend, it's time to lay that to rest. To submit to God and allow that long-suffering, that loving, caring balance of mercy and truth to take place in your heart. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord... I know that this week in preparing this, you worked on my heart mightily. And I believe that I'm not the only one here today that needed this. Would you help us, Lord, to come to you and learn your long-suffering spirit, that goodness of the Lord that leads to repentance. Thank you for being a God of second, third, and millionth chances. And help us, Lord, to be loving and forgiving to those in our life. Help us, Lord, to be clothed with compassion and graciousness and mercy and long-suffering. Lord, do a mighty work in our hearts today. May today be a beginning of a journey for someone to be a Christian that pleases you. Like they've never pleased you before. If there's one today here, Lord, that's lost has not put their faith in you for salvation, may they do that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Our heads are bowed, our eyes.